I want to talk to you about something today when it comes to discerning God's will. And this week I asked Jenny, I said, uh, hey, Jen, can you think of a, a major decision that we made that y- you were like, oh, that was the stupidest thing in the world. Can you think of like a big major decision that was like a total bomb? Can you think of something? And she did the accessing, accessing, <laughs> accessing. No, I can't think of anything. And, and I was like, no, really, can you think of it? And there was one trip we took when we were like 22 years old. Another couple friend of ours wanted to go to Wisconsin, and we didn't have the money for the trip. This is back when if you didn't have a credit card, you couldn't go. <laughs> okay? But, and so we didn't have the money, and we're like, but, but it was a trip, and it was going to be a couple's getaway. And did we, I mentioned there was a hot tub. Hot tub. Okay, it was just, and, you know, we were newlyweds, and it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And so um, we decided to go anyway. But the car broke down 15 miles down the road, and we ended up not going, and it was a $10 part. God spared us from that trip, or God robbed us from happiness, okay, however you want to look at it. But the truth is, at age 43, when Jenny and I look back on our lives, we can't think of a single big major decision that we go, oh, and want to cry ourselves to sleep over. We really can't. And it's really because, not because Jenny and I are smarter or anything like that, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but it's because since we were very, very young, we have taken to heart what I'm going to talk to you about today, which is seeking wise counsel or listening to others. Um, In 2005, 2006, 2007, we lived in a uh, 1,288-square-foot home. There were four of us in there. It worked fine for us. We were going to plan to live there our whole lives, but... We had started a church. We were having church events at the house. And I remember a Christmas party where people were on Jill's bed. People were on John Mark's bed in his bedroom. And we had like 60 people in that house. It was a miracle. Um, And so every, you know, we were like, should we move? Should we stay? We went through every, we asked Jenny's parents. We asked my parents. We asked all of our friends. I even pulled the elders of this church aside. I remember in making that decision, I said, no. You got to just, I want you to shoot straight with me. Is this wise? Is this unwise? Here's our finances. Here's where we are. Here's what we're going to do. Boom. Green light, green light, green light, green light, green light, green light, green light. And so um, if you're older, if you're old enough, you probably know someone who is a little bit different than the story I just spelled out. You probably know somebody who got into a relationship and five years later, it was like, what was I thinking? Or they bought a house or a car or they made some kind of big financial decision. And then again, five years later, 10 years later, it was like, ah, okay. Uh, so if, you, if you're in the middle of a decision right now and you've got to make a decision by Friday, I want to talk about something today that can actually help reduce the risk of a catastrophe and increase the chance of success. And that's simply seek wise counsel. I'm going to talk about where to go, how to go, the questions to ask, and that's what I want to get into today is seeking wise counsel. It's something that a man who was going to be king violated one day, and in the scope of just three days, lost most of his kingdom because of it. And so we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be, 1 Kings chapter 12. And this is the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm going to get there myself. To give you a little bit of a short history of Israel, 
in a little itty bitty tiny space. The Israelites, uh, God, back, back things up. From the get-go, God wanted to be the king of Israel. God wanted to be their king. And he wanted the Israelites to simply listen to him and allow him to fight their battles and, and, and put him at the f- forefront of everything that they did. But the Israelites were like, man, look at the Assyrians. Man, look at the Philistines. Man, look at the Moabites. They've all got kings who can get in this cool limousine motorcade. No, chariots. They can get into chariots and lead the armies into battle. We just have the Lord. Wouldn't it be really cool if we could have a king in the chariot that could go in front of us in battles? I mean, well, look at what they have. And so God relented. And God gave them a king, and that king was Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. Only Saul disobeyed God and displeased God, and so God picked another king. This king was David. David had a man, was a man after God's own heart. David grew the kingdom and passed the kingdom off to his son, Solomon. And by the time Solomon had become king, at that moment when he was given the crown, he said, oh, Lord, make me wise. Please make me wise, because he knew it was a big responsibility. He had a great start had a lousy finish because by the time he was an old man, he had a huge harem of foreign wives. And the Bible says that his heart had, had become divided. He had, his heart had drifted away from God. And so here we are at this moment and Solomon is about, uh, Solomon's kingdom is going to go to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And so uh, verses one through four, let's see what happens. So Solomon has died. And the Israelite leaders have gathered to crown the new king. First uh, Kings chapter 12, verse 1 and following. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him and Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Uh, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and then we'll be your loyal subjects. Okay, this place, Shechem, was a place of covenant renewal. It was the place where Joseph's bones were buried. Remember Joseph, the story of Joseph? Same guy, famous guy. He was buried on this mount. Okay, and so here's the situation. Solomon's building campaign, Solomon's empire extension costs money. Believe it or not, when you've got a military that's on the move everywhere and you're building and defending this large area, it costs money. And so there was a lot of taxation and the people were like, ah, they were feeling the pinch of all that taxes. And so basically what they were saying to the crown prince was, hey, could you reduce that just a little bit? We're feeling a little bit like slaves instead of freed Israelites. Just lighten up just a hair. Okay. Well, Rehoboam, does something wise. At first, he seeks wise counsel. That's verse 5. Rehoboam said, give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. For some of you, this is like magic right here in this moment. When you're pressed for a decision, you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to think about that. Let me get back with you. That could save you all kinds of headache right there rather than feeling like you have to make a decision in the spot. Let, Let me get back with you. All right, so... Give me three days, I'll get back with you. And then verse 6, Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father. What's your advice? How should I answer these people? 
The older counselors replied, if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. So Rehoboam first goes to the men who had advised his father, who had witnessed the expansion of the Israelite kingdom. These were men who were going to step down because when Rehoboam became king, all his friends and all his cronies, all his people were going to be ushered into the administration. So these guys were stepping down. They had no dog in the fight, so to speak. They were free to give impartial advice. And he goes to them, and and what do they tell him? Hey, give them a favorable reply. Tell them you'll lighten up a bit. You do that, they're yours for life. The text leads us to believe that Rehoboam, however, had already made up his mind. So next, verse 8, Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men, verse 8, and asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What's your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger's thicker than my father's waist. Yeah, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I'll beat you with scorpions. Since you've already gotten in the good habit of doing good advice, bad advice, let me just ask you, is this good advice? Wait, is this good advice? No. Two, three thousand years later, you can smell it eking off the pages of the Bible. This is bad advice. And yet, and yet... Three days later, verse 12, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people and he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. And he told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them heavier. My father beat you with whips, Bob beat you with scorpions. I heard that. So the king paid no attention to the people. And then you've got an explanation of God's hand in all of it. Verse 16, when all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. Boom. In three days, Rehoboam loses what it took his father and grandfather 80 years to build because he did not listen to wise counsel and instead listened to the advice of uh, wicked and foolish people. This is the same man, by the way. When this happens, he's 40, 41 years old. He's not some young buck. He's 40, 41 years old when this scene plays out in 1 Kings chapter 12. And he's the son that is referred to when you read the book of Proverbs... That's Solomon. And Proverbs starts out with this. O son of my youth, pay attention to your father's advice. Many, many, many the dad of a teenage son. This is their song. (laughs) O son of my youth, listen to your father. Okay? That's That's the theme. That's Proverbs right there. Listen to me, son. Listen to me. Listen to my advice. If you listen to me... All will go well with you. You'll succeed. You'll walk in the path of blessing. Don't listen to me at your own peril. Boom. There it is spelled out in Proverbs. Here's just three things that Solomon says to his son through the book, through the Proverbs that are in the Bible. 
Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Pride leads to conflict, Proverbs 13.10. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 15.22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor I've sat at my desk and someone has sat in the couch across from my desk in the pastor's office in a puddle of tears because a relationship has gone south or because of a financial decision that blew up. And I asked them this question, did you run that decision by anyone? Who did you, who did you process that decision with? And I'll get some version of, well, no one, but I prayed about it. No, don't do that. See, I love you guys in this room. I don't want you to be on that couch. I really don't. Okay, so let, I wanna, let's flesh this out. And let's flesh it out, first of all, by, by allowing me to pose this question to us as a community of faith. If you find yourself about to make a decision, a big decision, let me ask this question. What do your friends and family think of this decision? What do your family and friends think of this decision? What do the people who have a vested interest in your well-being think? And let me map out some scenarios. If, if you're married and you've got a husband, you've got a wife, that's your number one counselor right there. I can't tell you how many men I've known who have not listened to their wives and they've got into a business deal. They, Tom, honey, I want you to meet Tom. He and I are going to start a partnership, da-da-da-da. You have the dinner Tom does his thing. It's the spiel. You're like, yes, this is great. You get in the car with your wife, and on the way home, she's like, I don't like Tom. <laughs> what do you mean you don't like Tom? At the end of this, we're going to be $30,000 richer. Hello, richer. You're going to go on that cruise. You're going to have that necklace you've been wanting. Da, 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 da. I just, I don't got a good feeling about this. <laughs> Grip the stealing wheel and ignore your wife at your own peril. Okay, if you're married, your spouse is your number one counselor. Um, listening to your spouse does two things. One, it avoids the, I told you. Come on, who wants to hear that, really? Do you enjoy that? No. Whenever you're on the receiving end of, I told you it was going to, and that's always how it sounds too, even though it's said sweetly, I'm sure. Um, but you don't want to have the, I told you. Okay, so that's reason number one. Reason number two is it honors your spouse. Because they're like, oh, my perspective matters. Therefore, I matter in this partnership called marriage. Ah, ding. Okay, so if you're married, your spouse is your number one counselor. If you're under the age of 18 or you're younger, you're not going to like this. But your parent, I know you're not going to like this. It's okay. Just lay it out. Your parents, your parents should be someone you go to for advice. Again, I can't tell you how many times a scenario has played out where a guy's brought a girl in, and what I've heard from him is, I don't understand why my mom and dad don't like her. She's beautiful. We totally hit it off. It's, did I mention she's beautiful? We've taught, this is just, this is, she's the one. I don't understand why I'm having to sell them on her. If you find yourself saying that, consider it like a giant caution flag. <laughs> fluttering in the breeze that's saying, oh, death is at your door. <laughs> okay. That's what Solomon says in Proverbs. Death is at your door. Okay, so if you're younger, I'm totally serious. If you're younger, your parents, even though you think, even though you think they don't 
understand. They don't get you. They're clueless. They're out to lunch. I get it. I've been there. But nine times out of your 10, your parents really do have your best interests at heart. Nine times out of 10, they will give you good advice if you listen. Now, let me talk about the parent-child thing for a moment. Some of you are adult, adults, and your parents are, haven't stopped telling you what to do. Most parents I've met in life still act like their kids are 10, okay? And so they're constantly, well, you know, you really should. Well, you really shouldn't. Well, you really should. By the time you're 30, you tune that out. And so every time your mom or your dad's like, you really should, you know, understand mom and dad, they're not hearing anything. All they're hearing is, <laughs> Okay. Okay. So now there are a slice of parents who figured out the whole relational influence thing. And so you become an adult and all of a sudden all you hear from them is, we love you. We're proud of you. We'll support you no matter what. We love you. And, and you're going to make a big decision. You bring someone into them to meet, da, 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 da. If, if you bring someone to meet your parents and all you, and they understand relational influence and all you hear from them is, honey, we're going to love you and support you no matter what. Caution flag. <laughs> you may need to pull it out of them and go, Mom, no, I, really, what do you think? I don't know. Are you sure? That, <laughs> yeah. Okay, you may need to pull out because parents that understand relational influence will have their lips zipped unless really asked. Um, and so uh, I just wanted you to understand that dynamic, okay? So if you're under the 18 or you're younger, and even, look, I'm 43, and I sought my dad out for advice more after the age of 30 than I ever did under the age of 30. And I guarantee he did not get smarter. I'll let you figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, If you're in a community group with a group of believers and you've got a big decision or you're in the middle of a crisis or something like that, crises and problems create emotional fog and sometimes it's very hard to sort reality from unreality. If you're in community with other people, that's a good group to process a major decision with. Am I seeing everything clearly? Am I, you know, I think I should step this way. Is that a wise thing to do? Um, and I've got some cards at the back table. And I want to share three, three places to go for good, good advice and three questions to ask once you go there, all right? So here, here it is. Here's some places to seek wise counsel. Pool number one, unbiased people who have nothing to gain or lose by your decision. Unbiased people who have nothing to gain or lose by your decision. You're going to buy a car. Don't ask the person that's going to get the commission what you should do. <laughs> we already know the answer, Okay. Um, unbiased people who have nothing to gain or lose by your decision. Now, sometimes, uh, uh, usually mom and dad are a great place to go, but if they've been wanting grandbabies now five years in a row and you think you're finally ready to have grandbabies, when you ask them what their advice, they're going to tell you what they want, which is grandbabies, okay? So understand, unbiased, unbiased people who have nothing to gain or lose by your decision. Pool number two, someone who's already where you want to be. You want to be a million-dollar realtor? Ask to sit down with one of the greater Lexington area's million-dollar realtors. Hey, how'd you get where you are? What do you know that I don't know? What are, you know he, I'm thinking I want to do what you want to do. What would you tell somebody in my position to do since you're where I want to be? Or someone who parents really well and you admire the kids that they produced. 
hey, tell me, what did you do? How's come they turned out so well? I really, you know, I'd prefer to mess up my kids as little as possible. Can you help me out here? Okay? Um, so uh, pool number two, someone who's already where you want to be. And then pool number three, multiple places. Ask more than one person. Get more than one perspective. All right? So there's three pools, three places to get wise counsel. When you have them there, what do you ask? Here's three questions. Is there anything I'm considering outside of God's revealed ways? Is there anything I'm considering in this decision that conflicts or based on your knowledge of what's in here, you would go, run, okay? Question number two, what would you do if you were me? It's real simple. What would you do if you were me? And then question number three, in light of my past and my preferred future, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past and my preferred future, what is the wise thing to do? And I've got those three pools and those three questions on cards at the table in the foyer. Put it in your pocket. Slip it in your purse. In your iPhone case, all right? Pull it out when you find yourself about to make a major decision and go through those steps. Uh, We had really good friends uh, that did not listen. They didn't seek out much advice. They were going to make a move. He had a really good job, and he was going to make a move and take a job with the steel industry in Pennsylvania. Woo! And I and two other people told him, I don't, you know, I think steel's on its way out. I don't think, I really don't think that, you know, oh, Max, you know, oh, Dad, oh, they moved. Do you know how long they were there? A year before he was let go. And then they moved back. And we had to pretend like we were surprised to see them. Oh, wow, you're back. You know, it's like, okay, big shocker there. Okay. You don't want to be in that position. What you want is you want to be in a place where... uh, the outcome is a good outcome. And the way to increase the chance of that and decrease the chance of disaster is by doing this one simple thing that most people don't do. I want you to do that because I want you to be the very places in life that you want to be. And I want you to, when you're 80 years old, look, be able to look back and go, you know what? I had a good 20-year run, 40-year run, 60-year run. And there was nothing major that brought catastrophe and harm to my life because of a bad decision.